if you take this approach of multiple parallel safe-to-fail tests, of building lots of little startups within your own company, what you're running starts to look a lot less like an IT department and more like a corporation of its own. And so what that means is you are building, knowingly or unknowingly, the skills that you need to be the CEO one day. Welcome to the CIO Exchange Podcast. I'm Dean Porter de Leon. In this episode, we talk about what the next 2,000 days looks like for technology leaders. I sit down with Will Thompson, VP of Thought Leadership at Forbes Media, to explore how technology leaders are preparing now for what the business landscape will look like in 2025. We discuss the velocity with which the CIO's role and the roles of their teams are changing, as well as how they are extending their strategic influence over product development, marketing, human resources, supply chain, and more. So, Will, I know you have a lot of really great perspectives from looking at sort of the next 2,000 days, from what the CIO strategy should be, what they should be looking at, what they shouldn't be spending too much energy on, spinning their wheels. Let's really look at it from where there's a lot of fear, where there's a lot of doubt, and how CIOs and technology leaders can really start to remove that and start to move forward with confidence. And I think there's there's a myth that you have to move in one direction, you have to make one big bet, or you have to do one big project, one ERP, because that's how it used to be done. But kind of give me your perspective from that anxiety that technology leaders have. There's a lot of anxiety because we fundamentally don't know what the future is going to bring. We know that whatever industry you're in, it's being turned on its head. How precisely? Who knows? Yeah. But wait, wait, you're an analyst. You're supposed to know this. You're exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> that's, that's why everyone's listening to this right now. <laughs> then uh, the truth is, is a better thing than because any analyst who tells you that they know exactly what's going to happen 2,000 days from now is lying to you. Uh, but what I can tell you is what's impossible, more than likely not. But here's the thing is CIOs need to fundamentally shift to new business models, but they don't know what that business model is going to be. There's a million different choices, and there's a lot of cost if you get it done the wrong way. And as you were saying, one of the things that we're seeing out there is that rather than make a big monolithic bet that either will sink or will float, you make a lot of parallel safe-to-fail tests. It's a discipline that we've taken from the engineering world, and it's really designed for a world that's more chaotic and less predictable than it used to be. That's what you really have to do. Yeah, so it's like instead of just spending a bunch of money, putting your PowerPoint together, doing your board pitch, and then you get a huge check and you put an ERP system, and really you should be looking like a you know venture capitalist and invest in like eight, nine, ten different startups inside your own company yeah, and see exactly. which one takes off. Inside your own company, and, and maybe outside too. There's a lot of reasons to do that, but you need to treat your staff like they are the sharpest Silicon Valley whiz kids, and you need to give them the rope to be able to prove that to you. I mean, that gives them interesting problems to solve too. I mean, that's not just like, that's not just you know mitigating risk you're actually now motivating people giving people more interesting things not just saying you're keeping the lights on you're like hey i'm gonna invest in nine different things and you're gonna try some new cool tools and they may not all work out but you know what we're creating a culture where that's okay and that's exactly what we do at forbes as, as i was saying to you before we're trying to transition and find our future in a media industry that looks nothing like it did before. And we're taking a lot of little bets. And what we're not doing is bringing in some high-priced consultant and say, tell us what to do. What we're doing is we're going to the smartest employees in our room and we're saying, okay, you got a day job. I've got that. But at the same time, you're responsible for this test that we're going to run. And it might not work. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it feel okay to fail if necessary, but it might work. And if it works, 
this is going to be the thing that brings us into our next hundred years. Yeah, there's a lot of really good conversations around how if you're not taking risk, you're not innovating. You're just following, or you're just turning wheels, or you're just making incremental improvements when really you need to take some risk. But you can't make one big risk. That doesn't make legitimate sense. Right. And so there's an actually not related to this study that we did, but we did a study of chief risk officers a while ago, and we found that the vast majority of what risk people are focusing on these days are legal and operational risks, where the vast majority of stock market losses came from strategy misses. And it's the risks that are not taken that end up being far more material than the risks that you took and managed. Yeah, there was one, I think it was the CIO of Exxon, I believe, and they were talking about how their worst nightmare is they go into a boardroom and the board says, we just missed a $1 billion opportunity Mm -hmm. because you didn't see that bit of technology or that trend coming. And that's what keeps them up at night. They're freaking out. Not the next cyber attack, not the next, you know, breach. It's missing the billion dollar opportunity. (laughs) Right. But the problem is corporate culture, wherever it is, if you're a big enough company and you have enough at stake, that fear and that uncertainty and that doubt can cloud out your decision making. Because guess what? None of us are billionaires. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I'm You're not- very, on, very few of them. We, we have a Forbes list, but I'm not on it. And, and so I, I gotta tell you, sometimes I do get worried. If, like, is this thing, what's gonna happen to me if, yeah, if, this doesn't, exactly. if this doesn't work out? And we ignore that when we think about the way that we set our strategy. But if we have that culture of acceptance, if we have that culture of understanding, and we view these multiple parallel safe to fail tests as a risk abatement approach, that gives us the confidence to take risk, but to take the right risk at the right time and to say, it's okay if it fails. Yeah, because you do. You have to remove that from the table. You have a team of individuals who are thinking in their minds, what's going to happen to me if this goes sideways? And there's so many people in the technology industry who, especially if they're in infrastructure, if they're system admins, they'll be backstabbing, there'll be consequences, they'll put on performance you know, improvement plan and, and stuff and like importantly, that. And, and importantly, that backstabbing and all that stuff is going to be over the details, right? And And that's the problem that any function tends to get into is that we get so myopically focused on our patch of grass that we lose sight of the broader field. And that's really the danger is that our research says that CIOs, if they hope to take the right risks, you have to look up. You you have to look up towards the horizon and you have to understand that things are going to be far different tomorrow than they are today. Obvious, right? That's a no-duh kind of statement. But you have to be able to predict, as we were talking about before, that hurricane's path of disruption. We know that the hurricane will be somewhere between Florida and Texas five days from now, but we know it's not going to be in Alaska, right? Uh, We know it's not going to be in Alaska. Unless we have a Sharpie. Unless we have a Sharpie. A really big one. <laughs> we need to invent the CIO sharp. There you yes. go. Here's our new business model. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right over there. And Alaska's included. Uh, Alaska's included in yeah. it. But we know broadly where it's going to be. And so we can take those kind of risks. But we're not going to make those kind of decisions if we're so focused on the minutia of, of exactly the way that we execute. Trust your team. G- give them goals and say, go do call me if you have a problem. And then you remove that fear off the table. And now if you can create a culture where they're like, you know what, nothing bad is going to happen to me if I go off and play with this new tool or check out this new technology. And conversely too, even if it doesn't work, it may just be like, it's not the right time. And we may be able to put it aside and and do it, use it later. And on the flip side, on the opportunity side, imagine yourself as a CIO minus two, CIO minus three, who's been given the opportunity to run one of these tests that could be the future of your company. What if it succeeds? What if it works? That's the future of your career then. (laughs) Right, exactly. And what if you're the CIO who gave all of your CIO minus threes a chance to do that? How does that look for you? Yeah. 
And talk about the loyalty and talk about the trust that you've built. And that's a huge piece. As everyone always talks about, the obvious thing is that yes, people are the most important piece. But then what gets lost in that conversation is that it's not just a platitude. You can't treat it as a platitude. So actually make it real. Make it, well, what are you going to do to show the individuals on your team, to show your customers, to show your peers in the exec, to show the board that people are? What are you going to actually do about that? Interesting problems to solve, or you want to build trust with the peers. So, so actually showing that people are the most important is, is a big difference than just saying. And so then the question is, so if you're a CIO, you do all of this effectively, then what next? Do you become the CIO of a bigger company? Or like, how, what's, <laughs> how do, like, what, what's... Yeah, exactly. What, what, you know, what's, 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 what's next? It's funny. I think that is, that's a really good point you bring up because that does missing from a lot of the conversation. Because I imagine sometimes there's like a technology leader and it's like, okay, great. I do all this stuff. Then what? What is it? Like, do I get a crown? Do I get like a medal? <laughs> yeah, exactly. or do, do I win some award? Do I make more money? You know, and, and everyone has different motivations. But like, give me. I mean, give me your perspective on you know what's what so, what what happens. <laughs> so, so my perspective is that if you take this approach of multiple parallel safe to fail tests of building lots of little startups within your own company, what you're running starts to look a lot less like an IT department and more like a corporation of its own. Yes. And so what that means is you are building, knowingly or unknowingly, the skills that you need to be the CEO one day. The CEO maybe of the company that you're at, the CEO of maybe another big company, or maybe the CEO of your own startup. Maybe the CEO of a company that is solving a huge problem that's kept you up at night for years. Yeah, I think that's a good way because everyone's always training basically for the next thing. They don't they not know it yet, but they're either they're pursuing their passion or they're honing a particular skill set. And that training then is is gonna then lead them to that next opportunity. And if they train in a certain way, certain doors will be open. If they do a different, if they take a different path, other doors will be open. And I think that goes to your point too, where if you have in mind, let's say, some doors that you might want to be open, you may never want to be CEO, but you may want that door to be open so that one day you can be if you so choose, even though you don't want it right now. Right, and so here's the thing. Certain people are ambitious and their ambition is unalloyed and they just, they want to climb to the top because they want to climb to the top. And there are other people who love what they do. They're happy in, in exactly what they're doing and they would love to challenge themselves. They would love to try new things and push harder, but they're fundamentally fine in the, the track that they're on. But there's growth opportunities there too. Even if you think I just want to be the best practitioner I can be and I never want to run my own company, your expertise is needed. And the, when you develop these skills, that expertise can be put to work on a board, by the way, because where better to have an actual point of view about both the future and the uh, where the rubber meets the road of enterprise technology than on the board of a company or on the board of a nonprofit. Because think about all the problems that we need to solve as a civilization the knowledge to do that is locked in your head. Yeah, I think that's actually, it's a really good, because we have this whole tech for good on the research that we did together. And I think what gets lost is that people think it's a philanthropic effort. People think it's a cost center effort, but really it's a huge business effort. Because I mean, if you, let's say as a CIO or as a practitioner or system administrator, you give 20, 30, $40, or you give $2,000, let's say to a nonprofit, that pales in comparison to giving them a bit of your knowledge. Because it would cost them ten, twenty thousand dollars, maybe to architect a new data center or design a new application uh, architecture in the cloud. And right. I think that gets lost in that conversation. And also, like, the business perspective gets lost because people think nonprofit means doesn't make a profit. Not true. 
Profit is like air. You need it to breathe. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you need to suck all of the air out of the room. Not all of the air in the room will fit in my lungs. And so having that perspective is going to be critical because the philanthropies of the future cannot just rely on donations, no matter how generous. They have to have a business model too. And that business model needs to be sustainable. Let me give you actually a a cool example of a company that has done something that is both effective for its bottom line as well as good for the planet. So Levi's, nice San Francisco-based company. I lived out, Levi's Stadium, been out there for quite some time. Oh yeah, it's a nice office, I like it. (laughs) So the blue jeans that I'm wearing today are are by Levi's. A A few years ago, the process by which that they put the washes on their jeans, used so many gallons of water, so many noxious chemicals. And that's the sort of dirty little secret of of that industry. But all that water and all those chemicals cost a lot of money in addition to being bad for the environment. And so what Levi's did is they said, is there a way that we can do the finish on our jeans digitally? Is is there a way that we can eschew this water usage that is really bad for the planet, ditch a lot of these toxic chemicals, but still have the same kind of product? And so it took a multi-year R&D effort. It it took working with universities and bringing together a whole diverse group of stakeholders to solve this problem. But at the end of the day, they saved a great deal of money on their uh, production process going forward, and they're doing great things for the planet. And so that's the kind of mindset that we need to bring is, is not just about doing good, but if the good that you're going to do is going to last, there has to be a sustainable model behind it. Yeah. Instead of just sort of trading time for good, right. you're actually just completely reinventing or shifting strategy or changing business models or production models in this particular case from a technology perspective in order to create sustainable tech for good. If you can create the absence of all this water usage and all these chemicals that are used, I mean, that's far more profound than giving a donation or even, or even doing some of your time to a board. That's a profound opportunity for technology leaders to think about the way in which they can infect the environment and create any kind of social change. Let me turn it back on you. I got a question for you. <laughs> oh, this is good. Uh, Look at this. This is now yeah, the podcast turning yeah, around. This. Yeah. this is wonderful. There's this uh, idea of uh, 10% time that Google made famous of giving their employees 10% of their time to sort of work on whatever project they want. And some of those projects ended up being profit makers for them. And some of those ended up being triple bottom line kind of things, people profit planet, like we we're talking about. What do you think about the future of that? Do you, do you think that's something CIO should be thinking about for, for their staff and for them personally? I think when you start talking about like treating your budget like a VC would, like a venture capitalist would, you don't just make these all the bets to do specific business outcomes. There should be some experimentation, diversification of that portfolio of experimentation of tech for good, of can we have a triple bottom line thing? Can we have this business outcome? Can we improve our employee experience? Can we improve our customer experience? And also, can we connect some of these projects together and not just look at them in silos as separate? Hey, what if we combine one, two, and three, those three bets? and then put them together as each of them progress and create one thing that really works. Maybe one doesn't work on its own. Maybe two and three have to be combined with that. And then also now you have a winning thing. And the thing is you never ever are gonna see that. You'll never know that's possible unless you start making those little bets, unless you make those experiments. And a lot of CIOs will say, look, if you're not taking risk, if you're not experimenting, you're not innovating. And by the way, unless you have the vision to see across all of those little bets and the commonalities and things that tie them together, So there's a story back when uh, wars were fought with muskets that made a lot of smoke. When you were actually down on the battlefield and, and the guns were all firing, smoke was literally in your eyes. You were walking through a haze. There's a reason that the general sat up on the hill because with his eyeglass, look above the smoke, he could see things at a larger and more clear level than anybody could that was on the ground. 
The CIO is up on the hill today. They're able to see through the smoke in a way that people on their team or that people within the lines of business are not necessarily able to. At least the CIOs that are transforming the world are in that sort of position. And so it's critical that they sort of know what to look for. What are those things that if I find those connections, those are the right types of connections that will help bring my strategy forward? I think that's beautiful. Will, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for joining the CIO Exchange podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the CIO Exchange podcast. For more conversations with technology leaders from around the world, consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep research, visit vmware.com slash CIO.